Well, it, it's true, though. I mean, we are living in an era where cruelty is being glorified in a way that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. And I, we could, I know we have to wrap up, but we could in another day go through an entire, I think we could actually show somewhat of a, a through line there from going from, um, money obsession and selfishness and intellectual decline to cruelty. I do not think that they are unrelated. I think they're causally related. Hey everybody, welcome to Good Guys Getting Better. I'm Christian Hanley. Elaine Boatwright. And I'm John Borden. So guys, um, I know we talk about a wide range of things uh, on this pod since we started, but this past week, the the thing we cannot get past is what's going on in in Israel. You know, a week ago yesterday, so last Saturday, was when Hamas launched this horrific attack on civilians in in Israel, and of course now there is the retaliation um, with with Israel um, now going into Gaza and basically locking down the Gaza Strip and. Uh, their, the government's stated intention is to quote unquote destroy Hamas. And that's, I'm sure that by the time this, this goes live, there will be updates and changes. The story's going to keep on evolving, but that's sort of where, where things are right now. Um, and then here at home in the U.S., we're dealing with, um, a lot of sort of the, um, the politics and moral conversations about the conflict that I want to get into because, well, for a few different reasons, but uh, one is that I think that what a lot of Americans are doing, whether people on social media or even elected officials, is kind of centering Americans in all of this as though like we're the stars of the show and we're not, um, even though there's a lot to be said about who and what and how we support um, as the world's remaining superpower. Um and then, yeah, there's, there's also been just a swirl of disinformation about what's what's going on on the ground right now. So um, with with that, let's get into it. John, I know you were talking about how you were doing some reading last night. Um, and actually, this is on one of the Pods of America pods offline, either last night or this morning. Just the idea that um, some of the information we're getting out um, from the conflict is either wildly inaccurate or by the time we're consuming it here it's already outdated yeah i mean i think the first thing that needs to be said is that uh there is a really scary humanitarian issue that we are on the precipice of if not already completely in yeah um, into trying to sort out figure out as a global community you know, so to decentralize it from the U.S., I think is a really important thing and to humanize the people that are in Palestine, that are in Gaza um, and also hum uh, uh, make human the people that are suffering in Israel and distinguish out the acts of the government, you know, like the people mm -hmm. really caught in the middle. Um, with that said, yeah. a lot of the reporting that is that is kind of initially giving this justification and this thrust for global collaboration is this idea that Hamas was beheading children. Uh, and as you dig through it, there's been a lot of reporting subsequent to, the, subsequent to that um, and a lot of uh, backtracking at some of the major news outlets, including up to and including not that it's a news outlet, but the White House. Mm -hmm. President Biden came on last week and said he never thought that he would see, you know, something in the fact that he never thought that he would have to look at um, women and children being beheaded. Um, mm -hmm. and 
within a day or so, the White House walked that back because the president hadn't seen those. And he was relying on information that he had received from the Israeli government, who had received that from the IDF. But when you really got close to what the actual source is, no one's been able to verify whether or not that happened. The right. concern that I have with that um, is the the expediency with which we go into um, stereotypes. You know, mm. like, you know, it's easy, it's believable for people to digest that because we're, you know, almost reflexively jumping into Islamophobia, you know, which is ironic because that is to assume that every uh, Palestinian is uh, Muslim, you know, mm. and that they have this common thing that binds them and that they all want death to Israel. Um, and then you got the other swing on that, like got to be really careful about anti careful about anti-Semitism right now as well, which has been on the rise for yep. several years now. Here and, and abroad. I, right. And that's where I get back. I'm like, look, you know, there, there's certainly an element of anti-Semitism that led to the creation of the state of Israel. You know, mm -hmm. like it wasn't too far before um, Israel was founded that um, they the Jews were being hunted and exterminated in mass all throughout continental Europe. Right. You know, so there is a people issue that I don't think it's the the credit that it's due and so mm -hmm. much of the news has been focused on the political situation and the war um yeah but the the actors the political actors you know hamas you know their issue i, I have strong issue with them using the two million palestinians as a shield for them to act in such a way when they are outpersoned and outgunned and they right. are surrounded um like it's it is it is reckless it's insensitive it is I, I, there are so many superlatives, and at the same time, well, can we just before we go past that though, can we can we just drill down on that for a second? That's a, that's a huge point that we we shouldn't miss is that, um, and this is like going to be my mantra of this entire conversation. I, I I'm sorry to say, but like two two different truths can coexist at the same time. There are plenty of things that where one does not refute the other. There that are not mutually exclusive. But in the case of Hamas, you're right. They don't. They're not. They don't represent all or even most Palestinians. And when you look at the depravity of their actions, whether or not the specifics that have been reported out in the early days were, were accurate or not, you look at those depraved actions and you know that they know the response they're going to get for that. And yet they do it knowing that and knowing that the two million people that they purport to represent are the ones who are going to be harmed by their actions. They're going to be responsible, either directly or indirectly, for the deaths of Palestinians, the same as they're responsible for the death of Israelis. Yeah. And like, look, you know, the the other thing, you know, I've heard some analysis. It's And, and I, I want to also be sensitive to the fact that the Palestinian people have been under siege for a long <laughs> time. You know, like there there are, are a million kids in mm -hmm. Palestine right now like all they have known is being in what many call the largest open-air prison in the world like this is mm -hmm. what they know um, and the constant fear and terror and trauma of being in that um, and Hamas you know rather than saying like look we've got a and this is you know my my perspective but you know there is an element of okay well what can we do to better the lives of these people right now like, what can we do to stop the blockade? Like, how can we advance peace? Now, with that said, 
you could make the same argument that the the current government and political coalition that's leading Israel has no interest in that to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. so the question is, it's like, what options do you have? Like that government has been very clear with what their intentions are and how they are going to go about pursuing them. You know, so Alim and I were talking about this earlier this week. It really feels, and a few people that are really confu- that I've talked to that are really confused with how to feel. Like this is one of the most mm-hmm. complicated political, and we're observing it from afar, but one of the most complicated um, geopolitical and humanitarian issues that I can understand because it really feels, you know, more like um, there's a level of internal conflict that we can't begin to comprehend because we're not there, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that, you know, like it's difficult to opine, you know, on the civil war, you know, because you can just look at the consequences at 30,000 feet, but when you get close to the, to the ground, it's something totally different. So I do think that this is, I, I don't even want to put labels on it. Because it's mm-hmm. just, it, it feels like it's too complicated. I know we're going to talk about the moral implications of it, but it's so complicated to think about where do you go? And the only place that I can land, and Christian, you and I have talked about this in another con- another context, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, they're just innocent people that are trying to get by on a day by day. And, you know, the political actions of, you know, for whatever motivates Hamas, you know, like whatever motivates, you know, the Israeli government. Anytime you're using people as a shield, you know, or using your political covers, I feel I mean, like Benjamin Netanyahu, like all of a sudden, you know, this guy is as indictable as Donald Trump. And mm-hmm. now, now he he gets to puff out his chest and have this bravado about what they're going to do with all Gaza. One week. Yep. You know, yep. and, you know, just two years ago, he was, you know, trying to stay out of jail. And yeah. Trying to change oh, the less laws. Than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. he, he, he lost office was indicted yeah. for i think some corruption and fraud charges and mm-hmm. now he gets to look like just your regular old you know yeah. head of state you know making responsible decisions to defend his people yeah. and, much, and it's just like yeah, exactly no. much much yeah. like rudy giuliani escaped any kind of uh I, I i dare say it blame but any kind of responsibility for the inefficiencies that led to uh certain people entering into the the, the twin towers and being able to communicate and all that now the problem is that uh, Bibi is not going to get his uh, uh, proper criticism for missing this as a security blunder, right? Of lack of security, because like, okay, well, blame those who did it, which is rightly so. Blame those who committed the crime, so to speak. But at the same time, well, mm-hmm. well did he was he ineffective in the job that he said he was so great at, which was protecting the state of Israel. Yeah. I don't know, but he's not going to get criticized yeah. right now. Certainly not now. And that's the un- unfortunate, no. unfortunate uh, consequence of this. But I, I wanted to. Well, that's why. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, please, please go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, no, I, I'll collect my thoughts and I'll come back to another, another thought. I, I was going to interject quickly on that point, and that's what makes me very nervous right now. Now that the initial shock is only just beginning to wear off, and we're talking about consequences and retaliation and that sort of thing, is that you think about in the case of our country. 22 years ago now when September 11th happened and like let's be clear that I'm not the one drawing the parallels here it was the Israeli ambassador drawing the parallels between September 11th and this attack the morning after or two mornings after on the you know, on American roundtable discussions on TV and uh, on morning Joe and MSNBC in fact on Monday I think it was or Tuesday and they're drawing those comparisons and I'm thinking back to to the case of George W Bush who you think about all of 
the controversy and legal problems surrounding his his election, his being installed into power and everything. And then September 11th happened, and all of a sudden, that, that reset button gets hit. I mean, people forget, like, even in the United States, TV shows mocking him for his stupidity and arrogance got canceled, like, taken off Comedy Central. Um, Bill Maher got fired from ABC. Uh, think of him whatever you want, but it was because of his comments about that attack. And what what is concerning now with Benjamin Netanyahu is that this guy who clearly feels as though he's above the law – national and international who's tried to reform the judiciary such that his executive branch gets more power and who like we just said <laughs> was was very recently trying to keep his own behind out of prison um now is feeling like well he's got he he's untouchable he's he's got he's got um the cover that a head of state gets or a head of government gets uh when their state has fallen under attack and and, and for all intents and purposes what he, he's been in power for what Almost what sixteen twenty? Well, how many years has it been? Ten, ten? Well, he's 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 had several different terms, yeah. but yes, I mean he's been on the national stage, for, yeah, uh, since the early two thousands, yeah, yeah okay. late late nineties. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so the question is, is that if he and his policy, his approach, this situation was so effective, mm-hmm. how does this happen? That people don't ask the right, like, okay, well, my job was to keep everyone safe, and that, that's what I, I'm the security guy. And yet the biggest event in 50 years happens under my watch. Okay, so maybe, just maybe, the policies and the approach and the philosophy by which you are leading this country has driven it into a situation where now people have more to fear than they did before. That's the problem. People don't ask these questions. It's like, and some I, there's one of the simplest quotes I've been seeing periodically for a long time is that, and I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but is if war is the only answer, then you must be asking the wrong question. And that's that's where I think we find ourselves in this space today is that if you're saying, okay, we're going to defend, defend, defend ourselves against aggression, then you've got to start asking your question, why are people aggressive towards us? And and what do we do to prevent them from being aggressive? And to and to, to to tone things down and to this is it, it I mean the tragedies of what we've seen over this last week, uh it's just the the, the death and, and the escalate. I remember speaking to my, my father, you know, many years ago when I was probably a teen, just trying to understand the Middle East as the as we term it. You know, we put the, the Holy Land and all of these things and, and why there was such conflict. And I remember, uh, you know, vividly the, the, the feeling of despair that I came away from those conversations with. Like, well, how is this ever going to go? I, I just, I, I, I I hit an intellectual wall of like, there's no solution. <laughs> you know, it's like if people, as they are thinking right now, this will never end. It's just, it's just either someone will be eradicated or multiple people will be be eradicated. It's it'll be it'll be amazingly you know destructive forever. I think you know you have a, a moral compass that should guide you with whatever way you dis- you choose to defend yourself. We don't just do anything in defense of ourselves or those we love. But at the same time, you people can certainly easily breach those walls uh, of, of uh, when they feel despair, when they feel, you know, thing. so I, I, I don't agree with it, but I definitely, it, it helps to understand where it's coming from. And, and, and I think ultimately preventing uh, peoples from 
and I, I used S on, the, on that one, preventing people from getting to that point of despair is very key to preventing terrorism, right? That, you know, making sure that people understand is that, hey, we're still, we're, we're still trying to solve this problem. You know, we actually care about solving this problem. Yes, we disagree with each other, but we don't discount you. We don't, we don't look at you as not worthy of life, you know, and, and, and that type of thing. Because once, once, once you get the impression that we look at you that way, then you're going to start looking at us that way. And that's when you start seeing this, this, this uh, insanity of, of innocence and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I thought about this a lot for many years. And I think there's some important historical context that also kind of leads up to this moment. Um, one, as to the best that I could understand, Israel is not a religious state. It's a secular state. And uh, at, in its constitution, constitutionally, it's a secular state. Um, and uh, the state was formed in 1948, but the boundaries for the state were formed in 1916 with Sykes-Picot. Right. So this goes back a long time. This is World War One. Um, this is, to your point, Aleem, this is the British um, working in collaboration with the Jordanians to expel the Turks from the Holy Land. Right. And obviously they're successful. Um, Sykes-Picot was formed as I believe without the knowledge of the Jordanians. Um, and they were operating under the assumption that they would take control of the Holy land. Um, and just that, that piece of land, once the Turks were successfully, uh, defeated, which happened. Uh, problem is that, uh, they weren't given that. And instead, uh, I think his name was Hussein becomes ultimately the, the king or the emir of Jordan. And the modern state of Jordan, you know, it is what it is now. Um, and just like in America right now, so many of our political issues um, are wrapped up in morality issues, you know, in religious issues, you know, and and they are paper thin when you, you know, like where wherever you fall on abortion, um, if it's not a part of a narrative of. Um, human decency and the protection of life. It is a very approachable and easy to digest religious slash moral issue. And, you know, I don't know all the nuances of what's happening in Israel and Gaza, but it feels like a lot of the same. Like people are taking advantage of deeply held religious beliefs that are really important and personal to people and then weaponizing them. You know, like I think, you know, all of us are familiar with the, the sacred Jewish texts and their commentary on how you should treat, you know, your neighbor. Um, I recognize that that is, you know, blending a little New, uh, New Testament language in there. Um, and with that said, you know, it's, it's not all the same. Uh, you know, like, you know, there's also very much a combative nature to the Old Testament. But what I am saying is that, you know, these aren't necessarily political issues. They're religious issues. Um, or kind of religious things, but the, the politics bringing that in makes it bad. And the same thing I think applies um, for, you know, and I don't know enough about how Hamas uses Islam, but, you know, my point is like pitting these religions against each other um, is really politically expedient and convenient. And the losers again are people. And then of course, you know, Christians also exist in that space as well, you know, and other, I don't know if there are any more Zoroastrians in and around there, but anyway, like, you know, like everyone has kind of occupied this different space. And some of the initial issues were, you know, political more than they were religious. You know, like the Turks were, you know, the Ottoman Empire was, 
you know, ostensibly a religious, but they were just, they were bad people that they were corrupt. They wanted to get them out. So, you know, I, I am very nervous when I start to see, um, you know, wolf and sheep's clothing as it pertains to some of these issues, you know, like, you know, even, you know, I don't want to shift it, but like, um, what did I say? Or sheep and wolf's clothing? <laughs> wolf and uh, well, yeah, wolf and sheep's clothing. I was right. It's like in this country, I'm very sensitive to the fact that this is a political issue that is wrapped up in something moral, like a deeply held religious belief, and it will be used as justification to do whatever. You know, what I mean, like the mm-hmm. history of of this particular area is far more complex than two dueling religions. You know, right. like and really three. You know, even if you have all the Abrahamic religions. You know, like it's, you know, this goes back. People just throw it out all the time. Like you said, oh, it's been going on for thousands of years. Between who? You know, like Islam <laughs> right. was founded in the 8th century. You right. Know, like it ain't, you know, like 1,200 years. It's by far the youngest. Yeah, it's by yeah, far right. the youngest of the of the Abrahamic religions. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even think the Christians, in essence, really get there and take a foothold until the 4th century. After Constantine. Right. You know, so like, what are we, you know, what are we talking about in terms of, in terms of conflict? Um, now it's not the Jews have been dispossessed from time to time, and there've been different people that have come in, you know. But this isn't just you know three mm-hmm. people duking it out, you yeah, know, yeah. since time right. immemorial, right? So it's not, right, you know, right. The, the Christians are, you know, you know, with the Crusades were bloody disgusting. So it's like you know, no one is you know innocent, and no one has any innocent right to the space. So I just. Mm-hmm. This is where it makes me really uncomfortable to almost even draw perspectives. But from a human perspective, it's like, look, the things are setting up for a whole bunch of innocent people to die just to solve a political, you know, to grind a political axe. Yeah. And that, that is what's deeply concerning to me because our politics, more globally, is moving further and further away from having compassion. You know, from mm-hmm. more and more yeah. considering the human cost of, of war, like you were just talking about. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like World War One again, like because it was over 100 years ago, it was the Great War. It was the war to end all wars. Like, I forget the stats, like just the death rate on continental Europe, I mean, but it was something that you just, you hope, you would have hoped to never have seen again. And then obviously World War Two, you up the ante because technology is vastly improved in about 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like the human cost and the generational human cost, right? Like we're talking about what's happening right now. Like folks are going to have to be dealing with this for maybe generations. Oh, like, yeah. There is a lingering yeah. effect to these decisions. And there's such a callousness in the language. There's such a callousness with... Um, how people are willing to discard facts. It's just yeah. like, this is, this is mm-hmm. my political agenda. I want to solve this. This is what keeps me in power. I have to do it. And you see the mm-hmm. same thing happening in this country. And this is not, I'm not trying to draw an apples to apples, you know, issue, but mm-hmm. this is what gets people killed when you are callous and reckless with your language and you don't consider the human cost of your actions. We talked about this last time. That's not leadership. You know, that's not leadership. That's staying in power. Those are two totally different things. And it's difficult to, you know, there's so many people protesting now. Like, you know, this is going to become a global issue. And it is Mm. drawing everyone into this 
this conception of this binary eternal struggle that two religions are having. And it's like, to your point, Alim, if you just scrunch below the facts just a little bit, it's like, okay, the mm-hmm. nuance isn't hard to find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave leave that point too quickly, uh, John. I think it's really what you what you made is really important. Um, but I did want to. Something you said reminded me of, uh, of something I wanted to bring out uh, as well. Um, you know, just thinking about the notion of uh, of how this conflict has unfolded, it makes me a little concerned in, in that you know oppressed peoples or people who are feeling oppression um, fighting a physical war to try and bring themselves out of that oppression. And I, I for, for several years now, probably a good decade or so, I've, I've come to the conclusion from my perspective that that's not going to be effective, just, just fundamentally. I think, unfortunately, the world, the powers of the world have gotten so good at waging war that fighting back, you know, fist to fist, arm to arm, can't, can't find success. You have to find it on a different, on a different uh, playing field, so to speak. And, mm. I, I, and, I, and so what concerns me is that um, those like, uh, you know, those who, who are, are, are making decisions in Hamas, for example, they either are, think are misguided in their understanding of the ability or the willingness of those with power to decimate them, to murder them and eliminate them, or they have some ulterior motive that not fully disclosed at this point, because there's no context in which you're going to fight Hamas against the Israeli government and army right. uh, and force. Uh, and win directly. If this is not, you know, this is not a David and Goliath story from many, many centuries ago. There are real technological differences that you cannot. Oh yeah. And well, and so, so that, that's yeah. And yeah. no, because I, I have a question for you there, because and I know we're kind of taking a little bit of a, a tangent from sort of the more moral and humanitarian issue, but I have been wondering this all week long and maybe you guys can help me understand because i this is the point that you just brought up aline that i cannot wrap my head around even if you assume that this is this was launched as a terrorist attack to achieve a political goal which that's pretty much the definition of terrorism right you're gonna harm civilians excuse me to make a political point right even if you assume that this was born out of a hatred for israel or a feeling of oppression or even if even if even if even if right what was the intended end game? Like, exactly. I, I can't see, I, I can, I've been trying to figure out, like, aside from like having like a 24 hour, 48 hour period of pure shock and awe after that, like, did you, for the people who planned this within Hamas, I'm, I, it's, it's, I, I can't understand. I can't understand what they thought the upside would be. I, have I mean, a, I have some analysis or some thoughts on that, if I may, allude. One, I think um, it's difficult for me to think that this is Hamas alone. You know, mm-hmm. like flying very much under the radar is the coordination and the support that they immediately received from Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, the Ponte of America and Ponte of the World, they were talking about how this might be a proxy for Hezbollah to draw the U.S. 
into another conflict. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think there are broader global geopolitical implications. And once again, the Palestinian people are being used as proxy. The Israeli people are being used as, as proxies, you know, to, to wage a different war and a different battle. Um, and that, that to me is a more plausible than Hamas, you know, and this isn't like the first time Hamas is sent rockets into Israel. You know, like this, this mm-hmm. doesn't seem, right. it almost seems inconsistent with what they've done over the last decade in terms of incursions into Israel. Like it, it was far more brazen. It was far mm-hmm. more public, you know, like where they actually, where and how they actually chose to attack to your point. Well, you knew what the reaction was going to be, but I think you only make that leap if you are throwing in the talent to saying like, Hey, this is the last act, you know, we're going to go to this place or, mm-hmm. you know, you are doing it with a much longer game at hand and there are other actors that aren't obvious at play. And what is happening mm-hmm. right now is you're seeing a reaction to the reaction. You know, like if, if the first 48 hours, 24, 48 hours where this is what it was like on 9-11 in the U.S., you know, it only lasted 24 to 48 hours because now there are protests happening all over the world on behalf of the Palestinians. You sure. know, so is was the end game to make this a truly political issue and really draw Israel out? And like, look, this is, I'm talking purely politics, not perspective or opinion. But if we're talking mm-hmm. political strategy, the question is, is this to to draw out what they perceive to be the barbarity of the Israeli government, knowing that this is the way that they're going to act? You know, like, that, I, I mean, it, it, it's plausible. Like, I don't think, again, thinking about their, the way that they, they do this in knowing, it's not mm-hmm. that they don't know the Israeli military superiority. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. They know that they right. have, you know, right. $3.8 billion a year from the United States of America in military yep. funding, you know, and they know, as President Biden said, that the United States of America is still arguably the greatest superpower on the planet as a quote unquote rock solid relationship with Israel that won't waver. You know, so there, there, I can't believe that there isn't something more. This isn't just Hamas just escalating an attack. There has to be more to it. So that that latter that latter concept, I, I did actually consider that. I'm like, well, you know, they, they they wanted to make this a bigger issue, put it on the world stage, put it in, in, in the forefront of people's minds, the barbarity of the response and this type of thing. And I was like, that okay, I get that. Again, intellectual. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I agree in any way, shape, or form with any of this. Of course, but, of course. Yeah, right. you comprehend. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I can comprehend <laughs> that. But right, when right. You put that, when you contextualize that with okay. That's going to cost thousands of lives to do that, is right? That, is that worth it? You know, you only got about a couple million people there. It's like, there, just again, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, so I'm going to go to just numbers. I just I fall back right. on numbers. Right. You're going to lose an appreciable percentage of your in population of women, yes. men, women, and children. Yes. Just to fight this battle, is that to me is insanity. Frankly, that you mm-hmm. know, um, it it just it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. this you know. I, I I draw parallels. You know, you know, over over years you have conversations about conflicts in history and 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 other oppressed peoples fighting for their for their freedom and their survival and and people a lot of times they draw this 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 uh um uh. uh 
comparison, if you will, between the Native American tribes or the, uh, of, of, of uh, uh, the indigenous people's tribes that, that fought against um, imperialism from the British and from the Americans and so forth and so on over here, and in, in, in the African Americans who, who came out about a slavery but didn't necessarily rebel in mass in the same way that the indigenous mm -hmm. people. People say, oh, well, yeah, I want to fight like them, you know, or, or, or even aligning themselves with more, uh, more take up arms notions, e even during the civil rights movement, like those led by, uh, the speaking speakers like Malcolm X and that sort of thing. It's like, well, I want to fight back and so forth. But I think the, 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 the difference is, is that you see what happened to the indigenous peoples through that fight, right? When you take up arms, and try to fight toe to toe in that way against, you know, a, a technologically superior uh, force. You're going to sacrifice a lot, and they lost a lot. There were entire groups of eradicated through that fight, through that struggle, and that's that's tragic. Now, mm -hmm. it's arguable that okay, well, people, leaders in the civil rights movement who decided to take a a, uh, a, a an approach where where, where you're not going to fight back. You're going. You're going to speak out. You're going to take the abuse, and you're going to let people see that, and let that change people's minds. Arguably, that prevailed, right? That 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 got things done. Now, it sacrificed the health and well-being of several people. Certain people put themselves in the, in, in harm's way, um, but arguably, inarguably, in my opinion, <clears throat> led to far less death. Far less murder. Oh, it did. It did. And it was also very. It, it gets oversimplified now, but it was a very complicated and well-orchestrated effort that was not just marches and and songs yeah. you're talking about everything from a political aspect to a media aspect to an organizing aspect that 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 drew upon decades of experience and and accumulated knowledge from the labor movement um there was a a lot there it's it's it gets romanticized but it was a very complex and orchestrated strategy executed across several different states with many different organizations each with having different areas of focus I, I think, though, to to your point, just looking at at the math in a very like you're engineering cold and calculating way, but but honestly, that's the part that I've been stuck on in this conflict all week is exactly that what you just said, Aleem, is that if you are going to first of all, like let's can we appreciate the fact for a moment that those who made the decision to launch this initial massacre last Saturday did so. Never mind without a vote of any parliament or Congress or whatever, but with like no input whatsoever from the people who they were going to be used as using as human shields in the weeks and months to come. Right. And and go ahead and do it before you before yeah. you. Yeah. And, and people sometimes hear that human shield of somebody holding you in front of me. That's not exact human shield in the fact that they're now in in the country and they're, they're civilians mm -hmm. in the way of, of the people trying to get exactly, at them. So yeah. They don't even have to be deliberately right. human shields, but they are human shields now. Right. Because, you know, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I, 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 just one other point. Um, yeah. Hopefully, when we review this, everyone sees how inordinately long Aleem's finger was. And it was so close <laughs> to the camera. Aleem, that freaked me out, man. <laughs> like, you're going to get... Now like, I yeah, want to yeah. see... <laughs> Oh, Arsenio, I'm sorry. Please continue, Christian. I I, I should have been. I, I I forgot what I was saying. I, I oh 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 um no, just yes, exactly that. That if you're going up against like even if your strategy is to draw out not just 
the Israeli Defense Forces, but the United States military and cost us people, cost us munition, cost us money. Fine. But I mean, the the scale, right? Like the the entire population of Gaza, you you could fit into, you know, literally any single tiny corner of America. I, I heard one Israeli politician um uh, interviewed by ABC a couple of days ago, who said that Gaza is not in population. It's very densely, densely packed. Excuse me. It's very overpopulated, but just in terms of land area is, um, like one, th- one, f- no, the United States was 4,550 times the size or something just completely inordinate, right? And if you don't have that, the sort of size, population, budget, um, military technology, all these things, and you do something like this, you you are in, in my estimation, because what I'm trying to f- to get to here, right, is I am not going to be, or I'm not going to try to be ignorant or arrogant and assume that I understand or that I know what is behind someone else's decision making, or assume likely falsely that they're just being stupid, right? I have to, I want to assume there's something more to it than that to be understood, even if you disagree with it, right? But I, I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. What, what would be the end game if you know that going into it, you're not just going to kill a bunch of civilians who belong to a group you don't like, but your own people are going to be the ones who suffer the most guaranteed, guaranteed. Absolutely. I, I want to go back to something that Christian, I mean, uh, that Aleem said right before your comment, Christian, just kind of drawing mm-hmm. these parallels. The indigenous uh, tribes in America, they were defending themselves. You know, like this, this wasn't, this wasn't aggression by them. This was defending, right. defending colonialism. And I think the Palestinians would make that same argument. And I think Hamas although I think falsely would use that to say, like, we're just defending ourselves. And I think there's some element of truth to that. But Christian, I think your point is really well stated. Yeah, okay. Um, who did you consult with? What parliament, right. who, who did you consult with before you put our right. lives at stake? And then yeah. I think the civil rights movement, um, which uh, I, I forget I want to say it might be Crooms, Dean Crooms now, um, mm-hmm. Hustle Christian. You know, like at what point did the civil rights movement become civil and not a uh, human rights movement? And I think, you know, mm-hmm. that's the play, you know, like, yes, there we are, we are receiving what is promised to us under the Constitution, but that is a human issue, not just a civil issue. And this mm-hmm. goes back to what I was saying earlier yeah. when you reduce this to a civil issue and not a human issue, it makes it a lot easier to make these cold calculations. Because you're not dealing with people, you're dealing with numbers, you're dealing with statistics. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, if 6,000 6, Palestinians are killed, you know, but we are able to live, then it was, mm-hmm. it was worth it. But then the question is mm-hmm. always, who are you to make that decision for one life, let alone thousands? You know, so, again, if this is, fails to be a human issue and is only a political and only a civil issue, then this is where you get to. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the political and civil issues are the continuity the the uh, continuity piece um from the indigenous people here and and the the descendants of slaves that were bought here the descendants of slaves in the united states of america you know like all of these were political decisions you know everything from three-fifths to jim crow these are all political decisions these aren't human decisions 
And if you mm-hmm. engage in the humanity of people, it changes the equation. Because you, you can't make that same thing. Because I, this is my personal belief. I can't, unless Aleem or Christian, like you two are my dear friends. If you say, John, I'm putting my life in your hand. I want you to make a life or death decision for me because I need it. There is, there, you have given that to me. You know, like, I'm not going to make a life or death decision for you, Christian. You know, just because I happen this, to be this, there. This might not be the best time to tell you maybe two years or more, three years after the fact. But since I got divorced, I've kind of been making you my emergency contact. All right. Well, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Probably should have mentioned that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll put it like By this. By the way. Yeah, well, since, since you go there, I'll take you one and raise you another one. I was looking at uh, Davis uh, Davis's um, his parent portal, and I was looking at the emergency contacts, and the Leem is one of them. <laughs> if you need to go pick up glad, the kids from school, so. glad we sorted out this this minor personal issue while we you know address the world's. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, look, you know, the point is, like, when you stop and think about the human cost of what you're doing, and it's not like our. Our politics, our our political structures, and our constitutional structures are incompatible with recognizing people's humanity. Like at its core, that's what mm-hmm. makes a democracy unique. That's what makes it great. It literally empowers the people. Um, and what is at risk, more broadly speaking, it, you know, and I know we might talk about a few other topics, but it's just that. You know, like when you erode democracy, you erode humanity. And I'm not saying we need to be mm-hmm. forcing democracy on every place that we go. But if you're going to hold yourself out as a democracy, you can't just be purely political. You know, which is also going back to mm-hmm. this country, like where our civic issues, you know, like people make, you know, trans rights, gay rights, you know, abortion rights. You know, like if you make that a people issue, it's totally different, you know, because as mm-hmm. people, they are required to receive these benefits because they are a part of this uh this social agreement mm-hmm. well you got to do some intellectual and legal jujitsu to do that but the end goal is always to take away people's humanity and that's what's happening here whether it's and i'm not going to say hey like there's fine people on both sides because i don't want to get to that what i am going to say right what i'm going to say is that there are people on both sides Right. And every decision right, man, that, that every politician makes needs to be thinking about people. Right. And not about the politics, per se. But here's here's the, the thing, though, is that I I reject the idea that there even are two sides in this. This sure, is far sure. more co- complex than that, because right, you're talking right. about a, an organization that has not had an election for its leadership in I forget how many years, 15, yep. 16. I forget. Right. It's founded okay, in 2007, has, I believe. Whatever, but it's it's got literally no like accountability to the people it purports to represent, right? Meanwhile, you've got another state whose innocent civilians have just been massacred, but who is criticized by the former group for being so much superior in military might and technology and financing and diplomatic ties and all these other things. And then stuck in the middle of all this are a bunch of civilians, most of whom, although some might be politically active, but most of whom... Jewish, Muslim, Palestinian, Israeli, atheist, agnostic, whatever, are really concerned with things like getting their kids to school on time, getting to work, and are not like want none of this, right? And then you have a layer through all of that, this this notion of proxy warfare that you you mentioned quickly a, a minute ago, John, where you've got 
other outside powers, whether it's Hezbollah, whether it's Iran, whether it's the United States on the other side of the spectrum, that all have interests in this. Um, but it's the people, like you said, it's the civilians who are stuck in the middle of it and who are going to have to ultimately uh, pay the price. And I think what we've seen is you were talking a minute ago about sort of the escalation and rhetoric, even on this side of the Atlantic. I would say it's it's we've we've gone past rhetoric now. And this is not just in this conflict. We've seen it with Russia invading Ukraine and just completely as if. As if everything that came out of the end of World War II, from the United Nations to the Bretton Woods Accords to the foundation of the European Union years later, that as if none of that mattered, right? Right, exactly. We're we're seeing it's going beyond just rhetoric, beyond just having boorish people like Netanyahu or Boris Johnson or Donald Trump. It's gone beyond that. We have people like like. Vladimir Putin and others who now it's it's gone from rhetoric to action mm-hmm. and the disregard for human life that started off on paper or with spoken words is now really translated into bloodshed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is actually interesting. And I know we talked about this as another topic, but it was interesting speaking of Donald Trump to hear his position on this. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he more or less called. That's really that's a, that's an. But this no, is, that's an interesting use of the word interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know. <laughs> but he, he words. But you know, he's basically he has, like he has the best words. He knows all the words. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the, all the best words. The best words. They're the best, words. They're, best <laughs> they're laced in gold. Um, I went to this thing called a college where I learned the best words. <laughs> It's the best at the best college. The best. I can I tell you? Can I tell you? Like being living outside this country, how humiliated I would be on an almost daily basis having George W. Bush as president, and then to have Donald Trump. It's like literally what everyone mocks America for being like: fast food, hamburger and fried chicken eating, obese, ignorant, has never read a full book cover to cover. Like I can go on. Diet Coke chugging. I oh god, like a forty four ounce, forty four ounce. Diet oh, Coke chugging. You like, character to our no, president. really, really elected like a literal just uh, newspaper comic comic strip character. Yes, the world of yes. <laughs> I mean, I lived, Christian. I also lived abroad in the the Bush era. And uh, the last in last the Middle year, East, right? Yeah, in the Middle East of all places. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how much, even by those incalculably stupid times that we lived in politically, <laughs> those seem sophisticated <laughs> to where we are now. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, you know, and like the stark contrast. You know, between like, can you imagine living abroad during the Obama years? You know, and it was like, you know, you've got someone, you know, smart, competent, capable, you know, in representing something beyond where you've been, like representing this next mm-hmm. phase in American democracy. Um, to yeah. then go to the, the Trump years where it's like, you know, like Bush, I remember, I'll never forget Bush. I think he was in Iraq or he was somewhere and he gets the shoe thrown at him. Yeah. yeah, you know we all remember that. Yeah, yeah. what people yeah. what what, what yeah. people don't re- people don't understand about that 
and a lot of people don't understand, but like that is the height of uh, the height of disrespect. You know, like if you in certain countries in the Middle East, if you show someone your foot, mm. even, even accidentally, you think of all mm. the malicious things that you could say right now, you are gesturing that to them. You know, so oh, watching him okay. get that shoe thrown at him, like forget the security breach down break, breakdown. It was like, look, you know, there is no greater sign of disrespect that I can give you than to to throwing. And if you think about it practically speaking, like your shoe touches everything nasty everywhere you go, everything nasty <laughs> right. is what your foot touches or your shoe touches. Um, but but at any rate, um, yeah, Donald, I, it it's almost like there's a is, you know, I've been doing some reading on like this new cottage industry um, in the film, the TV and film industry about just the American decline. You know, like mm-hmm. it's an intellectual climb, a decline, it's a social decline, you know, where perhaps Americana was aspirational. Now it is comic book, it's cartoonish, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it doesn't help that we've got, you know, the biggest political figure in this country is not the current president, but it was the other guy. You know, like, you know, that one way or the other is the avatar for the United States. And that's what people think, too. Like when they think of mm-hmm. the United States, you know, that's in and all the people that represent him, you know, or that follow him. You know, like we one of the things that we want to talk about was like this, the real fear in cultism, cult, cultism, being in a cult, you know, or cultivating sure. a cult, yeah. or whatever. That's a whole yeah. other cult. But, uh, but you yeah. know, like it becomes this absence of thinking. You know, like, but John, John, just, just, just to like actually like drill down on this whole thing here. Remind us all, what exactly did the Donald say? I mean, you you were about to make a point before we we got off track and started making fun of you, but I mean, like sincerely <laughs> oh, though, yeah, yeah, he yeah. said what that 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 Hezbollah is is really smart. That he said a bunch of just outlandish, he, insane. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, going to basically paraphrase, but he both criticized yeah. the i the Israeli government. And praise right. the brazenness of Hezbollah and Hamas, and and he did it on a microphone, like he was being recorded. Yeah, you know, like he just basically. It was at a rally, point. wasn't it? Wasn't he, he was like he was at a podium, wasn't he? So don't know what the end game is, like what you were trying to accomplish, and and I put obviously in our our group chat here, it's like what's the political goal there? Like what's the angle? Right. Like. There's a couple of things at play there. One is that uh, probably around six or seven years ago, he realized that a large crack, a large percentage of support were from anti-Semites, right? And people who generally, generally do not like Jewish people, whether it be Israel or, or Americans, they just don't like Jewish people. So he's pandering to them to, to an extent right now, right? But then on top of that, he got in a conflict with, with Netanyahu, right? Netanyahu. Right, right, right. See, Donald Trump is, is, is the opposite of sophisticated, right? So it's, it's <laughs> Netanyahu. He's, he's You're not even going to dignify him with the word. He's just, he's just the opposite <laughs> exactly. of sophisticated. He's the antonym of something. You know, the, the, the whole point is that, so Netanyahu yeah. very quickly, you know, like most leaders in the world will do, just the logical thing of congratulations to the person who's duly elected president. Well, of course, Donald Trump, you know, trying to overturn that election and, and you know, in his treasonous acts that he was engaged in, said, OK, well, you screwed me, uh, Netanyahu, therefore right. I don't like So he's trying to right. take, a, take a shot at Netanyahu while at the same time trying to pander to his anti-Semitic 
uh, uh, white nationalist uh, support, which it, that's not that's nothing to shake a stick at, so to speak. That's a big deal. That's a big part of his support was that he's mm-hmm. he's got a coalition. You know, I always go back to the 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 the, the Hillary Clinton uh, statement of basket of deplorables. I, I swear, when she said that, I'm like, she said nothing wrong. She should have doubled down on that because the reality is, is that most of she mm-hmm. said she said all she said most of his support is a basket of deplorables, and that's really where a large percentage of the supporters of him, of Donald Trump, are deplorable people. They're racists. There's a lot of, of a lot of uh, 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 bigots of various types. There's all, you know, all kinds of not just people who are just you know genuinely misguided. Plenty of them. You're, you know, I you know mm-hmm. I know some of mm-hmm. people who are friends of mine who probably you know either at least didn't vote for the person I voted for, and which you know wound up being it's an effective vote, a vote for Donald Trump. But the reality is, is that that's you know there the, his the coalition he's built are people from mm-hmm. all over this 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 sector of of of, of feeling disaffected by what's going on in the world today and a large percentage of them are hateful people and people who we mm-hmm. never want to cross in a, in a street you know we, we just wouldn't want mm-hmm. to speak, we wouldn't want to be involved with and are deplorable mm-hmm. so in pandering in pandering <laughs> to the anti-semites and taking shots yeah. at that who leads him to say uh, yet another illogical and foolish thing that he says but, but look I, I get all that too and i think your your analysis is sound there but there are also no less than 70 million born again Christians in the United States of America. And mm-hmm. I forget the percentage of them that are Republican, but it's pretty high. And, it's very and, high. And yeah. central to that is this um, notion of the repatri- repra- repatriation of uh, Jews to Israel, which is a precursor for the rapture. You know, so it's like, you know, and I don't know if he understands all of that. And to your point, maybe he's the antonym of sophisticated. No, I, I can I can answer that for you. No, no. Uh, well, I mean, but it's but it's like, you know, he knows enough to know that this this right. base is less politically volatile and, right. you know, is way more loyal and they can be publicly loyal to him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the question is, it's like, <laughs> I mean, to your like, I. Now, you were talking about things that are difficult to wrap my head around. Like, that one is like a no-brainer. Like, if I were to run, if I was just purely interested in politics, and I'm not even going to say that statement because, you know, people are quoted to come back. Anyway, like, that that's like being, that's like Republican politics 101. You know, like, this is right. a group that you really need to align yourself in the same way that, you know, in the Democratic Party, you pick your affinity group to align with. You know, so um, this one is, and, and it's like prepackaged. You don't really have to try hard. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think right. he also has a whole bunch of mixed messages on abortion, and that's also because he hasn't really led the charge on that. He just elected people. That's the, oh he's, no, he's maybe not led the charge. He's paid for a few, though. I think, but yeah, he's he's not a Republican. He's just a bad person like, who's yeah. adopted the Republican name so he can run for an election. That's really what it is. Now, again, I, you know, I'm not saying I agree with the Republicans either, but the reality is that he's not really one of them either. But well, that's like when uh, when somebody was was had asked. He's a rhino. (laughs) He's really good, but he's not. He's not a rhino. (laughs) I mean, no, he he he's a usurper, right? He came in, he saw he saw something which is for nearly at that point. By the time he came onto the stage, no, not nearly. By that point, for fifty years, right? The Republicans who they're their quote unquote establishment, right? Like the Mitt Romney, sort of the white Wall Street guys of the party, 
they don't, that's not a base of support. That's a handful of people. Like statistically, that's not enough people to win anything. And what they had been doing for years, especially since the Southern strategy, the early 1970s and Nixon's campaign is just foment hate and, and figure out which chunks of the white population, whether it's evangelical Christians or other groups in the South and in some parts of Northern cities too, to be fair. Um, they've been cultivating that resentment against black people, against immigrants, against all different groups. Something wrong in your life. You, you didn't get that job opportunity you wanted. Blame so and so. I mean, there's that famous campaign ad from the early nineties of, um, what was his name? Jesse Helms in North Carolina, the, the famous one of the guy, you know, crushing up the letter because he didn't get the job he wanted because some affirmative action hire got the job there, whatever it was, right? Like they've been doing that really since they realized that was a strategy to win in the decade after the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Um, he doesn't know all that history that I just kind of rattled off the cliff notes of, but, you know, he could see which people were within which camp and he could think like, all right, well, I can... I can work with them. But, you know, to your point about him just being a bad person and not a true Republican, of course, I mean, like that was when um, Joe Scarborough got interviewed, not on his show, but I think it was on Real Time. And he was talking about when people say like, well, I don't like his rhetoric. I don't like him personally, but I like his policies. And his reaction was, what the F does that mean? He changes his <laughs> mind about any given issue every single day to be, not to suit any sort of Republican ideology or any sort of political endgame, but just to suit himself personally. It's all about him personally. Exactly. Well, so. I don't know if there was but enough. in the context of the United States, though, and, and our politics and kind of bringing this full circle back to the, the main story, like, he's also the same guy who maybe he felt justified in saying all this because of the beef he imagines he has with Netanyahu. But this is also the same guy who said horrific things that – um if any Jewish American knew what was good for them or actually knew their history, they would always vote for him because he's the best for Israel. And then he goes and says this crap this week. It's like, what? Like, he's, he's insane. Like, it's, it's kind of painful to, to, to see that people actually think he has a couple of brain cells. It's, it's like, he's not there. Like, why? He's not there. Amazing. It's amazing. I don't know. But anyway, I, he, uh, he is he is not there. He is like the the like I've heard back in college, I would have heard more logical tirades coming out of the mouth of someone who had been drinking all night. And it's now three o'clock in the morning than I've ever heard come out of Donald Trump's mouth. I mean, I, I know the guy claims he doesn't do anything. I think it's been widely reported he's actually a closeted speed freak and snorts Adderall but whatever <laughs> whatever you got to do man to get through the day I'm not here to judge but like the guy claims that he doesn't do any drugs doesn't drink whatever so whatever he's saying that's just him like that's just how gone he is that's yeah you can't whatever can't. brain he's got left that's a, that's a good point I, I'm, I'm gonna offer one more thought on on Donald Trump something to, from pop culture that probably go back uh, four years or so but i i, I may have mentioned yeah. it. I, I think uh, maybe you were there over at john's house i may have mentioned it year, years ago um but there's mm -hmm. a movie uh that i was actually uh uh turned on to by some colleagues of mine many years ago probably 10 12 years ago uh, called being mm -hmm. um uh, okay it stars um uh dr strange love uh actor uh okay okay I his name but anyway Basically, yeah. the main, he plays the main character, a guy who's been locked away 
uh, who basically was the housekeeper, if you will, for a very wealthy family in the middle of D.C., never left the house mm. for years. The owners of the house passed okay. away. Basically, they kicked him out of the house. And he, so he comes <laughs> out of the house all of a sudden in the 1970s, late 1970s, Washington, D.C. <laughs> he's like, he's basically trying to find his way. And he, yeah. he, he's, he's not educated at all, he's, but he's white, you know, and, he's, and he looks mm-hmm. like a normal white guy. He has a suit and he walks around. He says very few words and he winds up mm-hmm. bouncing from place to place. And somebody hits him with, with their car and he says, again, very few words. They take him in and, and eventually he winds up becoming a political star because everybody <laughs> affixes to what he says or does not say as mm-hmm. what they're thinking and feeling, right? Um, yeah. In yeah. Him what they want to see and right in because he's saying so he's saying so little so so the, the 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 correlation is that donald trump is saying so many words that mean nothing but people are right things sense logic to them that doesn't really exist but but it suits them so it's like oh mm-hmm. i like his policies well what did he just say like yeah i don't know but it sounded we cheered for it and it's like and that's and that sort of thing so check out being there um peter being Selfie, there okay peter yourself yeah uh, i mean it's it's funny because i i just to to speak about sort of fiction and and its reflection on what we're going through right now in the world um i remember seeing a tweet uh, during the trump administration from someone saying like um i apologize to george orwell i always thought 1984 was too simplistic and looking at it now like when things do go south it really is just this stupid and so actually I was I was going through um Audible on my phone because I always listen to audiobooks while I'm out walking the dogs and or in the car and um I had nineteen eighty four in there and so I started listening to the audiobook while I'm walking the dogs and it's one, it's it's terrifying just how similar mm. that fictional prediction is to what we've been living through in the past five, six, seven years at least. Um but two, like no, it it really is that simplistic and stupid. Mm, yeah. Like it's it's not even that there's a big complicated series of machinations and yada yada. It's like no, it's just this decline of critical thinking, decline of introspection, decline of any um, appreciation for the generations of hard work and millions of people who contributed to the society that you've inherited in your present time. All of these things, and it's. Yeah, it's it's just as stupid as he sort of fictionally predicted. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but, did you guys see uh, Don't Look Up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Think yeah I'm, I'm not going to ruin it, but if you want kind of a modern day, and I'm pretty sure I read um, 1984 in high school and don't remember it. I've, I've rotated yeah. more towards Brave New World. Um, but I think okay. Uh, but anyway, don't look up. the The premise is it's a combination of gaslighting and idiocy. Um, and and the gaslighting is really the piece that really drives it because at some yeah. point no one has any critical thinking skills, and the people that have an interest in staying in power, keeping their authority, work really hard to make sure that people aren't. You don't even have to think critical. It's just like knowing what you're seeing, you know. And 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 once they realize that they know what you that you can draw conclusions when you look, they just tell you don't look at it. Like it is actually. I thought it was going to be a comedy. I thought it was going to be hilarious. 
it was, and I actually watched it when I had COVID the first yeah. time. I was like, man, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not feeling really good after watching this movie. Like, you know, this is not, no, no, I should have watched this during the day. In terms of the, yeah, walk. It, yeah, yeah, no, no, I did. I had the same mistake because they really did bill it as a comedy. Like Jonah Hill is in it. Yeah. Um, the but yeah, by the end, you're like, I need. Yeah, by the end you're like, I need to go for a walk or something. It's um, <laughs> because because Aleem, like again, not to ruin it for you, but basically the premise is, and that's why they're saying don't look up to the sky, is it's the scientists coming to the White House saying like something bad's gonna happen. There's gonna be this big disaster, and the answer is, uh, you know what? That might be a good news story for like next week, but like right now, that that's just not gonna work for us. They're like, no, this is not like a an optics thing. Like if we don't act there's going to be a problem. <laughs> and everyone's like so concerned with maintaining their image and their status and their position that they don't even need to listen to the scientists. And yeah, by the, like it, it very much was advertised as a comedy. And by the end, you're like, Oh, <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah, funny. This is happening right now. Right now. <laughs> <This is happening. laughs> one, of, one of the other stories and, you know, that we had in our chat, um, that we don't have to talk about it because it's, it's, it's a really interesting and convoluted Interesting is the wrong word. It's a really convoluted, if not idiotic, um, legal argument. But basically, mm. uh, Donald Trump is a litigant in Colorado to stay on the back in Colorado. Yes. And there is yep. a group that is organized that has uh, filed a petition to have him removed. And his mm -hmm. legal argument, which apparently he lifted uh, stock and trade from the Wall Street Journal, was that he had no obligation to support the the US Constitution as the president. And that the fourteenth amendment yeah. the fourteenth amendment was constructed in such a way that it basically was meant to apply to elected officials of Congress and other elected officials, but didn't apply to the president. I had to read it a couple of times to really understand and like I I think I'm you know somewhat predisposed to understanding complex legal arguments. But it was like, I don't even understand. If you do say so yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, like, look, I'm just saying because of education. Like, you know, but it's like... No, no, look, I, I, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm just teasing you. Yes, I, I get it. I get I'm it. I'm easily <laughs> offended. Just to clarify for, for the listeners and myself, <laughs> is that so, um, Donald Trump is the one making the argument that he has no obligation to uphold the 14th. That he has, he has no obligation. Oh, no. no. He basically his oath of office didn't obligate him to support the Constitution. That is generally speaking his argument. That's his argument. Yes. Yeah. Now the argument. No, not, not generally speaking. That is verbatim his argument. What wasn't yeah. it? Wasn't that actually in I mean, the response to the complaint? Yeah, it was. It was in it. But like the the hoops that they go through within the Fourteenth Amendment, and you know they uh -huh. have. You know it's funny. You know like the, everyone's an originalist until they need to read in some context that benefits them. You know, so he completely <laughs> yeah. abandons yeah. this originalist yeah. argument like, no, the text is, well, no, what the text really meant. And the framers, when they were writing out the 14th Amendment, they actually meant this. And it's like, right. the, I mean, the, the judge is like, no, you know, basically that that argument doesn't work. Obviously, there's a concern that, you know, it escalates because I believe this is in Colorado Supreme Court, which seems weird. Mm -hmm. um, but. Yeah, it it was No, 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 it's not weird. It actually makes sense. I mean, that that one detail I think does actually make sense cuz because it's the the citizens group based there, they are 
they are using the state court because the states manage and, and run and operate right. their own elections, even for federal office holders, right? So, I mean, that part. I'm sure if 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 they do rule in the favor of the plaintiffs and keep them off the ballot, I'm sure it will escalate and there'll be arguments made to move the case to federal court on appeal. But I, what I, I don't know. What I do like about this is that um, it the headline itself is worth its weight in gold. You know, like if <laughs> forget mm-hmm. just Democrats, like if anyone that recognizes, which I think is legitimate the the threat not just of Donald Trump but the threat of what he represents to our democracy getting him getting him on the record saying i had no no uh, obligation to support the constitution with my oath of office yeah. one what's your word worth then and two <laughs> what's right. the constitution worth like you can't be the president of law and order quote unquote and when the law doesn't suit you you just throw it out and i know that that's not a novel argument people make it all the time yeah but you know it's like this is like and you would think like oh man there's so many times when he's made this crystallized you know argument for where he stands that it should be the thing that is like hey that he's telling you who he is it should be apparent to other people but you know i mm-hmm. i'm i'm not optimistic that it'll be the case but it is with that said like if i had to run a campaign right now it's like look you know he's not the law and order candidate you know he or i would frame it differently you know, like he he is the when it suits you candidate. Um, <laughs> exactly. Can I just say though? Can I just say though? Because because I I hear what you're saying and and the words make sense. Everything lines up what you're saying, right? But it's also the same mistake that I see a lot of analysts and pundits making right now about Donald Trump and about his that what we would see as as that hypocrisy, right? Between him. Not just saying this in this most recent court filing, but also doing things like attacking the federal judiciary, attacking uh, a judge's clerk, uh, his supporters calling for a, a wholesale investigation or if not destruction and and disbanding of the FBI, all because it doesn't suit him. Right? Like we see how there's that 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 contrast between him saying he's the law and order guy versus him actually flouting the law and attacking law enforcement. Um, January 6th, anyone. But I think that this goes back to sort of that earlier point that Aleem was making and that I followed up on about the fact that he saw the, the people who vote Republican en masse, not the, the Wall Street guys at the top of the party, but the rest, the, all of the resentment driven white voters that they have that actually win their elections for them. And he saw that and that's how he found his political home, so to speak. And he, he usurped that, that movement. But in the context of that, what we should understand as outsiders to that movement is when he's saying law and order, he's not literally talking about upholding the Constitution and, you know, being in love with the rule of law and peace and stability. He's not Jamie Raskin, right? He's not a constitutional scholar. He What he's doing is he's using law and order in the same context it would have been used in the 1960s and 70s. It's code for we are going to keep black people, Mexicans, migrants, People of color, anybody coming in this, we're going to keep them in their place. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that, that he wants to ha- have a fairer, more just society for all. He's saying law and order as a dog whistle for if you keep me in power, you bring me back into power. I'm going to keep perpetuating white supremacy and keep on keeping other people down. 
That's that's what that's why his people are not dissuaded. That's why to them there is no inconsistency or anything about what he's saying and doing now that detracts from their message because they know even if they're not going to articulate it or can't articulate it, they know at their gut what he actually is getting at, what he's saying. So since, since we're still on, on Donald Trump for a moment, and what, something uh, from uh, the music industry, I don't know if you guys have heard uh, this this artist uh, goes by the name of Sex Red. He's uh, very popular these days. Oh. He's made some very vulgar, very vulgar songs and that sort of thing, but you basically... okay. If you're on the internet, you're going to hear her song uh, behind various things. You know, a couple of songs she made. You can look her up. Okay. That you know, she's she's. I think she's from St. Louis. You know, very um, uh, uh, following. You know, the following is growing. She's very popular. She performed, I think, at the BET Awards. You know, so so she's she's her popularity for a couple of songs put her on big stages, especially in the urban community, mm. right, and among amongst uh, black folks. She was doing an interview recently, uh, the last couple of weeks, with somebody. I forget who it was, but they asked her about mm. Trump, right? And now, uh, by all, uh, uh, by the understanding I have, she she comes from a very um, uh, uh, a community that's going through some things financially. You know, St. Louis. If you know anything mm. about St. Louis, it, this challenges it, right? And that's that's what right. she. So so she she says, oh yeah. Uh, well, when, when we when he started letting black folks out of jail and 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 giving us checks and this type of thing, and oh yeah, yeah, we like Trump, we need Trump back in there. That's what she said, right? Uh, so so I you know I credit uh, Angela Rye, you're familiar with her, uh, you know, yeah, of course, yeah, did a, a couple of posts on it to try and, and speak to people about that because she has a large following of of young black folks who probably don't pay all that much attention to politics, right? People under the age of twenty. 20, 22, 23, you know, younger mm. folks, right? People with new voters. Yeah. And Angela Rye, you know, tried to, in the most respectful way she could, pour into this, uh, into this. <laughs> but it's, 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 she, but basically the bottom line is that, and, and, and I think what, what's pervasive in that, the community of people that I just described and the voters, those new voters, is that, they believe those things, right? They think that he mm. actually started letting black people out of jail. That obviously he that they may feel unjustly incarcerated, you know. So, uh, right. you know, uh, criminal justice reform. If you if you escalate that conversation to the intellectual argument, criminal justice reform, they actually think he had a part in that, and that actually did something for them, you know. And I and right. I I I. Uh, uh, blame to some extent certain people in, in the in the discourse for for giving him that giving them those props mm-hmm. un, un, undeservedly um, that help mislead people in that. Mm-hmm. But he also, uh, you know, also she she misunderstood the giving people uh, checks, right? You know, so mm-hmm. what she was referring to was the COVID funding that the Democrats forced down his throat, basically, right. that he did not want to sign, that the Republicans fought uh, right. against, that he eventually had to sign because the, the, everybody mm-hmm. knew that it was... Aline, did you say Angela Rye? Yeah, Angela Rod. Yeah. You talk about you said that she's a rapper? No. <laughs> what? What? Angela Rye rebutted oh, the rapper. I was about to say. On on social media. I was like, yeah. What? Yeah. 
I don't know, Angela Rodriguez. She might have some. Uh, she might have some uh, some bars to spit. She's, she's multi talented. I don't know. She, she can speak pretty Wait, well. You know. So, you know. Who was the rapper? Rap. Who was the rapper again? Sexy Red, I think is uh, her name. Okay. I'm trying to remember how to spell. There's some there's some double letters in that somewhere. So I don't know which. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing how I how how few current artists I actually know anything about. Well, you don't want to know anything about this. No, you don't. <laughs> I'm not gonna great. tell you the first uh, thing I saw that came okay. up. Her, uh... She is oh. horrible. Like she's horrible. I mean, she. I'm, okay. I, I know anybody listening to me in, in, in this podcast is gonna be like, "Oh, you're hating," but no, she's she's terrible. Like she she her rhymes are horrible. Okay. Okay. Her, her lyrics. Are a horrible. Yo, but here's the thing, and uh, like the, and and there is a, I think, a political connection. I mean, you're drawing the political connection. The other thing, as it pertains to music and hip hop, like at some point, like the 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 game and the aim has changed, right? You know, so you know, where Republicans for so long get credit, albeit on maybe unjustifiably, is you know they're fiscally conservative. They make good decisions with money, but really. If you unravel it, not true. They will make sure that people with money have more of it, and they can maybe somewhat credibly say, "Well, you know, money is money. You know, who has it doesn't make a difference. You can get this money." I don't even think that's totally believable, but I think that that as a notion, even within the black community, has some resonance because it's like, "Look, we're not racist. We want everyone to get money." Yeah, I mean, don't look at that other stuff that we did that's clearly racist. You know, we're just we're just about the money. Right. And then I think when you see that creep right. into the music industry and, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. well, hey, like whatever we need to do to get this money, you know, so and and I'm not making it up. Just listen to some rap music, any rap music between 1987 and right now, like the end goal, the stated end goal is really clear. You know, so if Donald Trump is like, hey, I'm going to lower taxes for rich people and I'm going to make it easier for everyone to be rich, you know, no different than Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. in in the 80s, right. Black Monday, um, then, you know, like, you've got, you, you know, maybe you've got a captive audience. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, well, we don't want all these other people to get money either, so if I align with you, I'll get money, we'll exclude other people. Now, you know, you can start mm. to really read in between the lines and figure out what that is, but I, I'm I, I, when I see someone like this, like, at this point, it's formulaic. You know, like, Little Kim, yeah. Foxy Brown, you know, maybe a few other artists in the early 90s, like, they got into this niche, they got into this market, you know, they reveal a lot, and I'm not, I'm not slut-shaming anyone, but what I am saying, as a function of, like, yo, this is a market segment that we can now capitalize on, like, being scantily clad and raunchy, and a lot of people have made money, and now you see more and more artists come out, and they're like, well, look, like, I can be raunchy, like, that's easy. Like, I don't mean it, just like... Yeah. You know, like when being a gangster rapper, gangster, I hate that phrase, but like when <laughs> hardcore, whatever you want to call it, like rapping about guns and drugs, when that became popularized, mm-hmm. everyone was like, yo, well, I can rap about guns and drugs. It's like my favorite example is Cassidy, the rapper from Philly. You know, like I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember mm-hmm. this, his story, Liam, but as a kid, he didn't grow up too far away from me. And everyone mm-hmm. was like, yo, man, you rapping about this, but you're not that because you're from Mount Airy. He's like, I'll show yeah, you. I'll, I'll show you. And then he just goes and kills somebody. Like, and this is after he was famous. Like to get yeah, credibility. Yeah. So it's like, you know, people will go to great lengths to do it. But it's like if you, you know, buy into this, you know, this ethos where it's just like, hey, 
we're all about this money thing and we'll make sure that you get money by lowering taxes, even if it destroys everything, <laughs> but you've got yours. <laughs> you've got yours. Exactly. And, and I think Trump, and people that, Trump's folks, they're like, yeah, well, if you're about this money thing and we can, uh, we can all get money together. And the problem is those coloreds, well, like, just get rid of them and then we can all go back to getting this money, even if they've been taking all the money from you the whole time. Like, it ain't coming back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing, though, is, like, even if it's not about them getting – I mean, ideally, they would like to get that money. But what they'll settle for and they've proven they'll settle for is not getting money through any policies that he would enact when he's in office. What they'll settle for, though, is in the absence of that, the explicit cruelty against the people who they think are undeserving. And that's the whole Bringing point, all the way right? Full circle. I mean, like, care. Well, it, it's true, though. I mean, we are living in an era where cruelty is being glorified in a way that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. And I, we could, I know we have to wrap up, but we could, in another day, go through an entire. I think we could actually show somewhat of a, a through line there from going from um, money obsession and selfishness and intellectual decline to cruelty. I do not think that they are unrelated. I think they're causally related. I think that that's how we arrive where we are right now. Mm. Um, but, but it, yeah, I yeah, don't know where I, I'm just going to go I'm with that. Pick, I want to pick up on <laughs> but, that though. I, yeah, I was, yeah, I heard yeah, about this yeah. in church today and like, look, I'm going to make a conscious argument. Like I'm not going to participate in, in the culture of cruelty. You know, like, you know, we right. can, we can have a discussion about something without it having to be oppositional. Like we can disagree without it. Like, right. and, I was listening to, I don't know what ESPN is up to. I used to love, but like every show is not about conflict. Like the only thing that can sell is like conflict. Like you got to be yelling mm-hmm. at the top of your lungs. Yeah. In opposite. It doesn't even matter what it is. Like, and that's the only way we can yeah. communicate. Mm-hmm. Like it's so binary and like, nah, man, like mm-hmm. everything isn't, we're not off. We, we don't need to fight every time. Like it, it does. Here, here's my hopeful point, and Christian. Maybe we can, maybe this, maybe this can, we can start into the next uh, ses- segment whenever we do it with this topic of, of sports and music and co- the culture. But, but my, but my, my thought is this: is that my hopeful moment is that I feel as though there's still an appetite uh, in our society, in our culture, in our American culture, in fact, for civil discourse. Right? I feel as though. People do still want that. They just don't know that they want it because they haven't seen it work effectively. They see yeah. it fail, right? They see people who are mm. not so good at it, for, frankly, and then they see it devolve into, you know, arguments. Yeah. They see it devolve into what you're describing, John, on, on ESPN. They see that happen constantly, and that is sensational, mm-hmm. and it is what they encourage in to, to put in our faces. But once they understand that that doesn't work, and that the alternative is effective. Maybe can we shout out? Can we shout out John Stewart I mean, maybe. real quick? Oh yeah, yeah. John Stewart oh, yeah. called in a lot twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. John Stewart is, is mm-hmm. he's a smart dude. He he, he said a lot. Yeah. Of well, I mean, but when in those twenty years though, we we went from having. There were, I mean, there was already things like crossfire on CNN. There was, exactly. but there was also things like there was also things like the McLaughlin Group on 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 PBS, and some things that were a little more thoughtful. And even at that point, the same shows that we have now, we already had like the Sunday morning shows where it was not nearly as sensational yeah. as as they are now. Now yeah. at this point, though, you, I mean, a few things happened. One was that 
ESPN actually started a lot of this. It actually did not originate in inside the Beltway. It was the fact it was just the media market. And they found out that those sort of moments of the talking heads screaming at each other over, you know, player skills and sports scores and all that sort of stuff got better ratings than any sort of debate would, like thoughtful debate. And so they applied that to the political talk shows and they mirrored them and structured them exactly based on ESPN, based on sports center, uh, right? And so uh, there was that first part. Nah, I'm, I'm that, not I, I would give more of that talk radio. Like I'm from Philly, man. And like That happened too. That happened like, too. ESPN but. came up, they came in late. I mean like if you listen to Philly talk radio mm. basically at yeah. any point in history you listen to it right now. Like actually, don't. Yeah. Or don't. Don't. <laughs> if 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 Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. If Twitter was if Twitter was like actual voices, like it would be it would be. Right. I, I okay. mean, I don't know about the New York area, Aleem. I can only imagine. No, no, no you're you're right. But I'm, I'm just saying now, yeah. radio doesn't get much play. You know, now it's Twitter. And yeah. Him and you know and. No, and you're totally right about talk radio, both in terms of sports talk radio and political talk radio, and with Rush Limbaugh starting with that. But um, I was more referring to sort of the the video, the TV format, yeah. where you actually have visuals. But the, the other thing I was going to say, though, is, is that then since John Stewart called that out, we've had this explosion of social media where everything is driven by clicks, and advertising dollars are driven by clicks, the same as on TV, they're driven by ratings. And you're going to get clicks based off of anger and outrage. And social media companies know this. I mean, Meta has researched this for years now, and they find that even more than sex, anger sells. Anger is the number one thing that keeps people, because it doesn't just... It doesn't just um, gain a momentary reaction. They found that, again, even more than sex or cars or anything else, it will keep people tied up and engaged with the platform the longest, which then gives them more time to serve more ads. And it's, again, to bring it another full circle, it really is just that stupid. And that, ladies and gentlemen. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was this week's stupidity. <laughs> Being, being there with Peter Sellers, check out uh, Sexy Red and Angela Rye's response to her. Check out what, what we have various things for, the, for people to go take a look at. Uh. Yes. Yes, indeed. And, of course, do not forget to like, share, subscribe, tell all your friends about the podcast. It really does help us all, and thank you. Thanks, guys. It's been a great conversation. Go Birds. <laughs>